Welcome to Bible Greek VPod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 8. In this lesson, you will learn the accusative case and then look at 1 John 2, 9-11. In the last couple of sessions, we have been talking about observation, interpretation, and application. Remember, observation was what does the text say grammatically? And then interpretation, what does the text mean? So today I want to look at application. How does the text apply to me? There is a saying that goes something like this. All scripture is for us, but not all scripture is to us. This saying comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 11. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we'll look at this just a little bit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, the Apostle Paul is going to describe how the Old Testament is used as examples for us. So in verse 1 he says, Moreover, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all were baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, and on and on. Skip down to verse 11. This is the main point I want to make. Now, all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. In other words, all scripture is for us, given to us as examples. All the Old Testament uh, stories have some spiritual truth. Here in 1 Corinthians, the word is topos, a type. They are all... uh, all the characters, all the stories are types for us. Something we can learn from and offer some spiritual food. And so application touches on the subject of how does the text apply to us today? For example, in the Old Testament, the law does not apply to us today. It was fulfilled in Christ So we don't live under the law. That's clearly uh, described. But we can still learn some spiritual truth from those Old Testament stories and from the Old Testament law as well. There is some spiritual meat within the law. For example, in the New Testament, the law is explained as being a tutor. Uh, it, It seems to point out our sin And so that application there, the spiritual application, is presented in the New Testament for us. So application is an important aspect, an important point for us today. The New Testament was written some 2,000 years ago, and oftentimes it seems hard to uh, uh, bring that event into some spiritual truth that applies to us today. But that's our task. That's our task as teachers. A lot of you are teachers, uh, leaders. A lot of you are teaching a Sunday school class or what have you. Maybe you're pastors. And the task at hand is to apply observation. What does the text say? Interpretation. What does the text mean? And then application. Draw out that spiritual application that applies to us today. Now let's get into the lesson for today. The lesson is the accusative case. 
The accusative is the case of limitation, meaning its main usage is with the direct object of the phrase and the action extends to and is limited to the object. Oftentimes you find the accusative translated something like uh, if you had, for example, wheel, the sun, a sun, or ton wheel, the sun. The word accusative comes to the English from the Latin accuse, meaning to accuse, and has two primary usage in its Latin historical context. The first is to charge before a judge or court. The second is to blame or to find fault with. So this historical use of the word brings out the intended use of the accusative in a precise way. That is, it points to the object which something proceeds, either to the end, the direction, or the extent of the motion or action. Dana and Manti put it this way. If one say, Ha anthropos epomensen, the man sent, the act of sending is left without boundary and has no definite meaning. But if, if you say, Ha anthropos epomensen ton dolon, the man sent the servant, immediately limits are placed on the action by specification of its object. Or to say, Ha antipas alethain kroran, the man went to the country, that limits the motion by specifying its destination. Likewise to say, Ho antipas eporuta markan odan, the man traveled a long journey, that limits the action by indicating its extent. Let's look at the uses of the accusative. First, we have the accusative of direct object. That's the basic meaning of the accusative. It serves to show the noun that receives the action of a transient verb. Now, remember, a transient verb is one that takes an object. An intransient verb does not take the object. So here's an example, John 3.16, the famous John 3.16. For God so loved the world, notice the tonkosmon is the world there. So God, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice that life is also in the accusative case. Zoan. Then another use is that of the double accusative. The double accusative is common in the Greek. Certain verbs require two accusatives to complete the thought of the verb. The double accusative usually is broken down into two categories. The first is the personal and impersonal objects, that is, a person and a thing. Then the second is the direct and predicate objects. That's the object complement. So first with a person and impersonal objects. In this construction, both the person and the thing are required to complete the thought. You need them both. 
The majority of this usage is found with the noun and the adjective pair. For example, John 14.26 But the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you, the you there is that person, all things. All things being the thing. You need both of them there in the accusative, the person, you, and all things, the thing that marks it out, to bring out all that understanding for the verse. So the verse continues, He shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said to you. So uh, God gives us a helper, the Holy Spirit, to teach us, to teach you all things. Uh, Of course, that application there is to, directly to, the apostles, so they could document, and so that they can recount and testify, serve as a testimony of all these things that, uh, that God had done while he was on the earth with them. They needed help with that. So he gave them the Holy Spirit to do that. The second uh, double accusative was the direct and predicate objects. This is the object complement. The double accusative, where one accusative serves as the direct object and the second predicates or complements something about it. Example is John four forty six. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he turned the water, see that's the object, the water into wine. Wine is the complement. Both are in the accusative. The water is the object, into wine is the complement. You need both of those to complete the thought. The next use of the accusative is in the adverbal accusative. The adverbal accusative has three divisions. It's of measure, of manner, and of reference. When used as the accusative of measure, it serves to limit the extent of the verbal action in either time or space. Some some measurement of time and space there. For example, in Matthew 20, 28, And behold, I am with you, here it is, all the days, or the extent of the days, is the meaning there, as that adverbial accusative, all the days until the end of the age. It's limiting time there. Next, we have the accusative of manner. Remember, the the idea here is the adverbial sense. Accusative of manner. The adverbial accusative of manner modifies a verb by telling how something is done. As such, it can be translated with a prepositional phrase. For example, John 10.10. I have come that they might have life and that they might have it, here it is, abundantly. That verbal sense of it. Accusative of manner. How will it be done? It will be abundantly. They might have life abundantly. Finally, there is the accusative of reference. Again, in that adverbial sense. An adverbial accusative of reference limits a verbal or adjective to a particular frame of reference. An example is Hebrews 2.17. 
Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, here it is, in reference to the things which pertain to God. See, there's that adjectival um, sense of it. Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, brought down as a man, uh, the second Adam, if you will, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest, here's the adjective here, in reference to things which pertain to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. See that? That sense is in reference to the things which pertain to God. Uh, the idea is that uh, that Christ came in the flesh to be the legal representative of man so that that would be a legal propitiation for the sins of mankind. What an incredible thing that is. Accusative of reference. Another usage of the accusative is called the, the cognate accusative. Uh, cognate comes from the Latin cognius. Uh, it's related or connected by blood. So the accusative is an accusative noun that has the same idea or stem as the verb. See, it's kind of a, a literary, uh, wonderful literary thing that happens here. In Second Timothy 4.7, we have this. Uh, remember, the idea is the same idea or stem as the verb this accusative noun. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. See, notice that. I have fought the good fight. That verb, I have fought, has the same root as the good fight, the accusative of the good fight. What a wonderful uh, little um, play on words that is uh, given to us. And then finally, the last usage is the accusative of oath. Um, And this accusative of oath names the person or thing that swears an an oath. That swears an oath. In the New Testament, the term, I cause to swear or I adjure, uh, is is that Greek, herkadzo, and is uh, regularly followed by two accusatives. Notice Mark 5, 7 is an example, just one of the examples. And and here they translate it as, I adjure. I adjure you by God, torment me not. So it has the idea of a swearing, an important uh, use of the accusative that's uh, used repeatedly in the New Testament. Now let's move on to our Greek text for the day. And that is 1 John 2, 9 through 11. The law applied to one another. That's how I have uh, termed this. Let me read that section for you, how I have translated it. The one who says he is in the light and hates his brother, he is until now in the darkness. The one who loves his brother remains in the light and a trap is not in him. But the one who hates his brother... He is in darkness, and in the darkness he walks and has not seen where he goes, because in the darkness he is blind in his eyes. Notice in this section, there is, in verse 9, a kind of sense of a false love. 
And then in verse 10, we move to a true love, a description of true love, what it means to truly love. And then finally in verse 11, the text moves back to the case of false love and expands on that idea. The application of the law of love involves the interaction of one believer with another. The love one for another means that those within the church must pay close attention to their attitude one to another. It has that idea of fellowship. This attitude should reflect the true character of Christ and the truth that the believer holds. A self-examination of the believer should reveal a love of Christ, a love of truth, and an application of that love principle in relationship of one to another. The idea is, does one think of himself more than he ought to? The scripture often talks about examining and looking at yourself truthfully, not to degrade yourself, but to measure yourself truthfully. Uh, the Both sides of the coin should be examined. Humans have a, a tendency for having more esteem for self than others. They think more highly of themselves than they ought to. That's the tendency of mankind. So the idea here in this section is, does this attitude of self-love germinate to consume the believer's whole attitude towards others? And when one finds him or herself with the characteristics of the old self, full of self-love, is it at the expense of others? The fruit of the old self is naturally consumed with self-love and always exhibits itself in one's attitude. Uh, What God calls the faces or countenance in the Old Testament and he and moves this countenance moves to the mouth, causing all manner of destruction. Destruction in relationships leads to destruction within the local church's mission. And eventually, when left unchecked, this destruction overtakes the church altogether. Let's look at verse nine. The one who says he is in the light and he hates his brother. He is, until now, in the darkness. The one who says, Legon, is a present active participle. It's a nominative masculine singular, and it has that definite article attached to it. The active participle means this person is actively saying, or is in a state of professing to be in the light. You might say his occupation, or rather his preoccupation, is to say he is in the light. Yet he hates his Christian brother. This one, John adds, at the moment is in darkness. Do you know a brother or a sister like this? It is hard to love your brother or sister in Christ at times. Some of the nicest people I know are Christians. But on the other hand, some of the meanest are also Christians. Yet we are supposed to be of a better character, a people ripe with fruit, and we are to exhibit those fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness, uh, to be slow to anger, long-suffering, 
All of these things should be our fruit, what comes out of it. Yet we let the moment get us sometimes. We get in the flesh, and some people stay in the flesh, and they never seem to grow in grace. There are some who are legalistic, and they try to rule over others, all in the name of Christian correction. They want to let you know what is wrong in your life, and they want to correct you. These people are hard to love. They take on the role of the Holy Spirit, overstepping their bounds, and they bring insult to God. There are others who just have a nasty disposition. Look, the object of this hatred is directed at a brother, an Adelphos. That's the the object, the accusative masculine singular. And it has that definite article also, the brother. And here the metaphorical is meant, and it means a fellow Christian. A brother in Greek, as it is in English, may mean a physical brother born of the same father or mother. It may also mean a physical descendant of the same ethnic group, the same nationality as in a fellow Levite, or in a broader sense, maybe a Jew or a Greek, something like that. But a brother can also have a metaphorical sense, meaning someone who is united by a common interest or calling. It is this sense that is meant here. This brother is a brother who has been called by God, a Christian, one who is in this family of Christ, identified with his death and burial and resurrection. The definite article brings out the precise nature of the common bond, that common union that the two individuals have. Hate is another participle, miazo. It's a present active participle, again, a nominative masculine singular, to hate, to pursue with hatred. The absence of the definite article with the participle makes this meaning an ing word. He is right now actively hating his brother. Now, some see the definite article from the previous participle distributed to this participle as well. But I see this standard alone. He is actively hating his brother right now. For this enlightened person, I remember, it seems to be that John is speaking of a believer in a church, a true believer in a church. For this enlightened person who hates his brother, John says he is in the darkness. The definite article used with the noun, te skota, makes this a particular place or thing. In this case, skota is used metaphorically, meaning of ignorance of divine things, and it's associated with wickedness. John uses the word to mean the realm of everything that is at enmity with God. Another aspect of this realm of darkness is that there is associated with it power. So the same, Christ rescued us from the power of darkness. The power of darkness is associated with the power of sin. Another metaphorical use of the word is in reference to secrecy. As can be seen, the realm of darkness is a powerful realm that has its victims trapped 
there is no way of escape. If not for the enlightening work of God that opens the eyes, revealing its true character. While the present tense gives the immediate sense of the story and the active voice defines the extent of the damage, the locative tells of the location of the situation. The locative of sphere is what is used here. The two extremes of light and darkness speak of the division between good and evil, between the realm of Christ and the realm of the devil. The one who is in the light, has darkness exposed, or can see that darkness. The other side is the realm of darkness. Evil lurks in the darkness, where lies are told, and the truth is manipulated, to the point of calling good evil, and evil good. Remember, you see this back in the garden. For the person who hates his brother, he is seen as in the realm of evil darkness a place where no one wants to find him or herself. Darkness is the realm of the devil. There are traps there that destroy. The key to this verse is this little phrase, He is until now. Esten os arti. It's literally, He is until at time. So some translate, it's a little hard in literally to translate, so most translate, is in darkness still. The idea is still in it. Now that they have been enlightened, the truth of their actions is now brought to light. There were no doubt people in the church who let their hatred for their brother get so bad that John has to address the problem. In scripture, you usually find things like this uh, address, problems addressed, because there is a question or there is a problem that needs to be address. Conflict within the church was common then and is still common today. We are, after all, fallen. Even though we might be saved, the old self is still battling within us. It is a constant conflict, and Satan is actively seeking whoever and whatever manner of discord and destruction he can muster. John means to address the problem and to provide a solution. Verse 10, The one who loves his brother remains in the light, and a trap is not in him. Look at that. Hoagapon is to the head. Wonderful, wonderful emphasis there. So in contrast to the one who hates his brother is the one who loves his brother. And for this person, the one who agapo, present active participle, nominative masculine singular with that definite article. He loves his brother. There is a protection in the form of not being caught in the trap. First, the apostle identifies the position this person occupies. That is, he is in, as that Greek preposition in or with, the light. Again, the definite article of for light speaks of the realm of light. We get the English word photo and all of its derivatives from this word. The word means to give light. And in the physical sense, expressing light as seen by the eye. When used metaphorically, light is seen as reaching the mind. Vines says this, 
Light requires an organ adapted for its reception. Where the eye is absent or where it has become impaired from any cause, light is useless. Man naturally is incapable of receiving spiritual light inasmuch as he lacks the capacity for spiritual things. Hence, believers are called sons of light, not merely because they have received a revelation from God, but because in the new birth they have received the spiritual capacity for it. The position of this person is described as minnow. It's a present active indicative third person singular. To remain or abide, he, uh, he or she remains in the light since love is the result. Um, the fruit is being displayed there. The second phrase of verse 10 is Kai scandalon in atu ok esten, and a trap is not in him. The word for trap is scandalon. It's a nominative neuter singular. The meaning is the movable stick of a trap or trigger where that bait is placed by which the trap is sprung. A person or thing which one is drawn or entrapped into error or sin. Or it could mean a temptation to sin. Most translate this as a stumbling or an occasion of stumbling. But this word is stronger and serves to capture the essence of the helpless condition from an irresistible thing. When used metaphorically, the word means a spiritual draw into sin. The idea here seems to be that an enlightened person does not cause another to stumble by his or her actions or words. The mouth, the things that come out of the mouth usually cause the problems. This enlightened person does not set traps for others and watch as they fall for the bait and are helplessly caught up in the fight for survival. What a picture this is. The preposition is translated in him. In has the sense there is no stain in him or there is no offense in him. The main idea is that which gives offense or causes revulsion, that which arouses opposition, an object of anger or disapproval, um, a stain. So the interpretation in him is no stain or fault. It's usually how that is uh, interpreted. Here we find the root idea of the preposition, that is, within that idea of within, and when used with the personal pronoun is a locative, and again is the locative of sphere. This person lives in the sphere of light, so that the sphere of the trap is not in him. Because he is in the light and loves his brother, there is no stumbling block or offense to others that would deter them from fellowship. They will know we are Christians by our love. You know that song? So, love your brother. Do not hate your brother, for that serves as a trap for sin. 
not as a blessing which brings edification. The trap only serves to bring an argument, to bring in discord and broken fellowship. The trap is left for the person who is in the realm of darkness. It is not befitting of a person in the realm of the light. There is a wise saying given in Proverbs 12.10, Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all transgressions. Finally, we move again to false love. I love the way John does that. He just rolls around in this circular um, argument, giving us a false love, a description of a false, a definition of the false love, then what it means to be in true love, and then wraps up the idea, filling in the details with false love. So verse 11 says, But the one who hates his brother he is in darkness. That's the first phrase. So in contrast, uh, the conjunction day is used. To the one who abides in the light is the one who is right now in a state of hatred as a present active participle of miso, to hate, to pursue with hatred conveys. This person hates the Adelphos, again, um, that accusative masculine singular with the definite article. Um, he hates his brother, and is said to be in the scutia. Uh, again, that is with the definite article, the darkness. Uh, what a picture. The repetition and the contrast adds to the literary impact. The second phrase, And in the darkness he walks, and has not seen where he goes, because in darkness he is blind in his eyes. The Apostle goes on to describe the spiritual state and walk of the person who hates. Here we are presented with a man who possesses the source of the light, but does not use it. A picture may be drawn of a person walking at night with a torch, but even though it is pitch black, he does not light up the torch. The expression, in the darkness... In te scota, he is walking about. Peripate provides the sense of the condition as seen with the present tense. He continues to walk about. And here the picture is aimlessly walking about. There is no direction, no light to guide him. And to further paint the picture of this insane act of self-dependence, the apostle says, and he has not seen where he's going, or where he goes. The perfect expresses the act as complete. The damage is done, the destruction complete. The picture is of a man walking about, without regard for his surroundings, destroying whatever comes under his foot, regardless of what's there, without regard, without care, Without any thought, a clumsy disregard for anything and anyone around him. The verb ido is a perfect active indicative third person singular, to see, to know. And it has the primary meaning of knowing by sight. And as used here, to know in the sense of to have regard for one. This person has no regard for his brother. And finally, the direction of this person is aimless. As the directional particle po 
where, in what place is used. This person has the true light available to him, but because he refuses to walk using the light that now shines, clearly shines, he walks about aimlessly, not producing fruit because he does not use the light. The only fruit that darkness produces is destruction and discontent. The reason for this aimless motion is found in the fact that his eyes have been blinded because of the darkness. The reason is found in the conjunction hati, that, since, or because, the darkness, that is, the darkness is the subject, the thing causing the blindness. The darkness has blinded his eyes. The verb of this phrase is tuflelo. It's an aorist active indicative, third person singular, to blind, to make blind. Now, in the New Testament, it's used metaphorically to blunt the mental discernment or to darken the mind. And it affects the eyes, optimeos, with the definite article, the eyes of him. The aorist is most likely a constantive aorist, meaning viewing the action as a whole. It's not focusing on the beginning or the end, but rather describing the action or state as just occurring, viewing the action as a whole. Similar to Jesus' response to the disciples' question concerning him returning to Jerusalem to the Jewish leadership's blindness of John 11.10, but if one walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. What is the difference between these two? In John 11.10, the Jewish leadership is not enlightened. Their spiritual eyes are not opened. Here, in 1 John These brothers are saved, but do not use their spiritual eyes to see what it means to love the Lord and to love their brother. What a set of verses we have. This is incredible. There is a psalm that's applicable here. There is a prayer that the psalmist uh, um, prays for. And he, he declares and he prays for. It's applicable to us today. The psalmist says in Psalm 18:28, For you light my lamp. The Lord my God illumines my darkness. What a beautiful psalm that is. May it apply to us as we walk around in this dark world. May God richly bless you and come back for the next lesson. 